this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And so this week we're reading Parsha Vayeshev, which it opens, it begins the story of Yosef and his brothers. And it opens with Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megure Aviv Be'eretz Canaan. Now Yaakov was settled in the land where his father had sojourned, the land of Canaan. And then states in the second pasuk, Ela told Yaakov, here is the line of Yaakov. Here's the story of Yaakov. And then transitions immediately into Yosef ben Shvas Reishana. Yosef was 17 years old and held, begins the story of the conflict that he had with his brothers and everything and all of the stories and the throwing in the pit and selling into slavery, etc., etc., etc. And so there are a lot of sort of like famous, if you can say, questions that are asked about this. Why does the story of Yaakov, why is it told through the lens of Yosef, right? If you're going to tell me the story of Yaakov, tell me the story of Yaakov, tell me the genealogy of Yaakov. Why are you just now telling me a story about Yosef instead? That's not about Yaakov, that's about Yosef. And also about the question of Vayeshev, right? Why does it say that Yaakov was settled in the land? What does that mean? And Rashi, there's a Rashi that that to me is famous, but I don't know if it's actually famous. Or it's just, just because um, both my husband Yoni and Rabbi Hertzfeld love to cite it a lot. So it might just be that it's been swirling around in my life more than usual. Um, but Rashi, for actually on the second pasuk in the Parsha, he has many statements to make. And one of them is that he quotes the Midrash. And the Midrash is, Bikesh Yaakov Leshev Beshalva. Yaakov wished to live at ease. Some people translate shalva at ease or tranquility. It's just like, imagine he just, he wanted a break. His life had been running and running and running in so much turmoil. And now that he was older and he had children, he just wanted to have a little time to rest. But what happens? But this trouble in connection with Yosef, it suddenly came upon him, is the translation I have it, you know, sort of pounced on him. So Yaakov, why did then, according to this Medrash, does, is, is Yaakov's settling connected immediately with Yosef? It's because Yaakov wanted to be able to settle down and live a life at ease, but the story with Yosef happened and that interrupted it. And then Rashi says, we actually learn a principle from this. Sadiqim vakshim leshev b'shalva. Sadiqim, the righteous people, they wish, they ask, they request, they seek to live at ease. But God says to them, It's not enough for Sadiqim that they have a great life affixed for them, ready for them in Olam Haba and the world to come, but they also want to live in Shalva, in peace, in tranquility in this world as well. So let's break this down for a minute. What this, what Rashi's citation of the Midrash says is that Yaakov wanted to live, he wanted some peace, but this whole problem, this whole story of Yosef sort of pounced upon him and interrupted that. And from here we learn that Tzadikim, sometimes they want to live a life of tranquility in this world. They want to have some rest, but God says, what, it's not enough for you. You know, in that classic guilt parent, Jewish parent voice, right? It's not enough what I do for you. Then Olam Haba, you're going to, in the next world, you're going to have all this peace. You want also in this world as well. Now, 
it's uh why is this a beloved statement well i think that maybe one of the reasons we are attracted to it is because it's relatable right yakov how many of us just wish sometimes that we could have some peace we spend our days running around trying to deal with work deal with families if we have families and friends if we have friends and this and that and grocery shop and cook and make sure everything and email and this and that we're being pulled in a million directions all the time yeah, everyone wants some peace, right? We can all relate to this idea of wanting peace. And then something comes up. You got another annoying email from work. Your kid wakes up in the middle of the night and bothers you, whatever it is. You say, ugh, like, can I just have a little peace? So I think that's kind of, you know, why why some of us like this is because of this the image of someone wanting to just have a little bit of peace and quiet is and having that taken away from them at every moment is very relatable. But actually, what others point out is that this this, Midrash, this citation of Rashi, if you break it down a little bit, it actually is kind of problematic. First of all, it seems like why does God picking a why does God have a bone to pick with the tzaddikim? So some tzaddikim, okay, they want to rest, and now God, it's like God is sort of asking this rhetorical challenge, this rhetorical question to them of what is not enough for you? You know, like what what's the problem? Why can't tzaddikim have a little rest? Um, but also it raises a bigger problem, I think, for anyone who does seek rest, because let's say I say, I, you know, I just, I need to have this week. I need to have not be, have people bother me, or, you know, I want the week of winter break to turn off my work email or whatever it is. What's wrong with that? Now, if I want that, what I'm saying is, okay, so if I'm a Russia, if I'm a bad person, then God will grant that to me, right? Because it seems like God only wants to take away tranquility from Tzadikim, from good people. So if I get my tranquility, does that mean I'm a Russia? And if I want that tranquility, maybe I'd be nervous to want it because maybe what if I do think maybe I am a Tzadik, then I shouldn't even try because it means that if I want a, a moment of peace and quiet, I might bring upon myself more troubles that God will send me just to, you know, sort of stick it to me and say, yeah, you don't actually get to have that moment of peace and tranquility. And so I actually think that like something that at first glance feels very relatable is also very problematic at the same time. Um, and actually not really a very good model for our lives right now. And I've been thinking about that, especially, um, you know, recently. And, and, and as I, I find myself staring at my phone every waking moment of every day except for Shabbos. And I know that that I'm certainly not alone in that. Um, and, and, you know, we live in a society in which we're constantly being bombarded. Um, and we talk about, you know, that, that attention is now a commodity. People are just trying to figure out how they can get our attention. And we move farther and farther away from having any sense of serenity, any sense of tranquility, any sense of sort of quiet and things not bothering at us and grabbing at us. And here we have a source that's sort of praising that kind of a lifestyle, which is problematic because we know that that kind of a lifestyle isn't good for us. It's not healthy. And in fact, I wanted to give a, a, a shout out to my my dear friend, Dr. Shana Weiss, who who told me a couple of weeks ago about something called the napping ministry, um, which I encourage uh, people to Google if you've not heard of it, which I certainly had not heard of it. And the napping ministry is actually something that was founded um, four years ago in 2016 by a woman named Trisha Hersey. And as her website says, it's an organization that examines the liberating power of naps um, and believes that rest is a form of resistance and that sleep deprivation is a racial and social justice issue. Now, when you first hear that, when I first hear that, you might 
your eyes might pop out. You say, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? But if you delve a little bit deeper, you realize that that really what this organization is getting at is that people who work in, in advocacy, um, in, as organizers, in justice work, anyone who's working towards a good cause, that work is exhausting. And it's self-perpetuating. The more you do, the more there is to do. Because the number of people who need help and who need support and advocacy and, and the problems never go away. And once you start, it's like you can't stop because there's always more, there's always more. And there's a really big problem with that because you don't give yourself permission to ever stop. And you don't feel like the world can afford for you to stop. Because if you do, if you stop, then that means someone's not getting the support, the help that they need. And so actually, well, so one step further, actually, instead, I should say that that dynamic, it saps people of their energy, of their vitality. There's no rest. There's no, you know, manucha. You don't get anything. You're just working, working, working. And it saps and saps the energy of the people who are dafka, the tzaddikim, the people who are dafka doing the most important work in our world. And so I think what this organization seeks to do is remind those people that actually you have to take a break. You have to carve out space for rest. Rest is sacred which ironically is something that God teaches us all the way back in the very beginning of the Torah, right? Shabbos, you have to rest. You create, but then you also give yourself time to rest. And so this Rashi on a deep level is actually really, you know, I think, I think, I take issue with it. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a great statement because it's an accurate description of life, but it's a very problematic prescription because it doesn't afford people any space for rest, any space for shalva. It, you know, dafka, it's something that, that only comes to you if you don't deserve it, really. And so I wanted to dig deeper into this Rashi to figure out what was going on here. And I found something very interesting, which I certainly am not the first to realize this. Many people before me have realized it. When you look at the, so Rashi is citing a mentor from Mambrishi Rava. Now, when you look back at the actual Midrash itself, it's fascinating. Because the Midrash actually says something very, very different. The Midrash says, Amar Ravachav. So Ravachav says, B'sha'ash tzadikim yoshvim b'shalva, u'mevakshim leishev b'shalva b'olam hazeh. So at the hour, when the time, when the tzadikim, the righteous people, are sitting in shalva, and they are seeking to sit in shalva in this world, not in the world to come in this world, Hasatan ba. The Satan comes and challenges them. And what does the Satan say? It's not enough for you that everything you've got, you know, everything will be dished out for you in, in Olam Haba in the next world. You also want peace in this world as well. Now, this is very interesting because this Midrash actually. If you notice what just happened here, most of the language is the same as Rashi's citation with one big change. Who is speaking here and saying to the Tariki, what, it's not enough for you that you get the world to come. You also need rest in this world as well. Not God. In Rashi's citation, it's God. In the actual original Midrash, it's the Satan who challenges them and says that. Now, that is a huge difference. And I cannot possibly begin to explain why Rashi makes that change. 
But once Rashi makes that change, it completely flips the entire moral of this medrash on its head. Because then he continues that, you know, and what's the classic example of the Satan coming in and challenging the Tzaddik who seeks to sit in Shava? It's Yaakov. He beat Keshli Sheva Shava. He wanted to sit in some tranquility, but then what happened? Sitno shall Yosef jump, like, came upon him. See, no, also from the word Satan, sort of this, the badness of the story of Yosef jumped upon him. And then it quotes a pasuk from Eov about Yaakov and all of the troubles that he experienced and how the story of Yosef is just the next trouble that he's faced after a life of dealing with Esav and Lavan and the story of Dina and everything. He can't get away from it. So now we've got a big, you could call it a problem or maybe a lesson an original that has Satan challenging people and Arashi who turns that into God. And here I actually think it's one of the reasons it's always very important to go back to the original source. Because with the Rashi, as we said, it makes the idea of trying to seek any rest problematic, something that inevitably is going to be um, upended and, and thrown in your face and actually cause you more trouble. It's the anti-nap ministry. It's the anti-rest. But if you look back at the original, in fact, that portrays a much healthier dynamic for us, which is, yeah, tzaddikim, they seek to sit in shalva. Now, the satan might come and challenge you, but the fact that you seek to sit in shalva is not something that God is challenging. It's something that the Satan is challenging. Now, the end conclusion might be the same, that someone, whether it's God or the Satan, is going to interfere with your ability to try to get some rest, you know, just try to get some basic uh, closure, some distance from the world around you sometimes. But it really changes how we think about those interruptions in our life. If you go according to Rashi's citation of the Medrash, the interruptions in our life are God coming to us and speaking to us and challenging us to be better people. Which means if I really need a self-care break from my work or from helping someone or someone needs me and I just say, you know what, I can't do it this time, then God is really saying to me, what, you think you're so great? No, get up and do it. But according to this Midrash, even though those sources of, of distraction who are pulling you away from yourself to help other people are always going to be there, if you really need that tranquility, maybe those those distractions that need to always be doing something and feel like you can never take time from yourself doesn't come from God. It comes from a negative force. I've never translated the Satan as Satan because that's really just not an accurate translation, right? It represents the negative parts of the world, the negative parts of ourselves, the parts of the world that lead us to do things that aren't actually in our own best interests. And that those distractions, those things pulling us away do not come from an authentic place, from a good place. It actually comes from a place of negativity. And so when we read this Rashi this week, we think about Yaakov just sighing, wanting to get a break and, and not being able to. We should remember that the lesson for us, according to, to the Rashi, is that, uh, you know, it's never, it's, it's never really a great thing. It's never an ideal thing to try to get some rest. But that he also, he was making his own choice in citing the Midrash in the way that he did. And if you go back to the Midrash, you realize that actually what the Midrash really is saying is that if you need a break and you do holy work and sometimes you need a break, that's a good thing. Take that time. 
someone cries, come and, comes and tries to distract you with something you know isn't totally legitimate and something that maybe doesn't fully need your attention, that's the little voice inside your head that's not letting you take a break. But it's your job to push that voice aside and make sure that you are actually getting that, that, that shalva that you need. Because that's something that we all need in order to be able to function. And as we see in, in the way that these types of studies are developing throughout the world, um, in, in how we live our lives in the 21st century, those types of distractions are actually what really bring us tremendous amount of harm and distract us from our true life's purpose. Shabbat shalom and happy Hanukkah.